pray as we begin this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, we are about a third of the way through of our survey this summer on the book of Proverbs. And today, appropriately, uh, we are going to study chapter 9, which is about one-third of the way through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is 31 chapters uh, long, so we are right at about one-third. We are on, we're on track, everybody. Um, Proverbs 9 is actually also a major literary break in the book of Proverbs. Let me put a little outline for you just in case you... You need to see this as a visual person. Chapters 1 through 9 um, are actually a narrative whole, and they explain what wisdom is, why wisdom is important. And then most of the rest of the book of Proverbs, chapters 10 through 30, are a compendium of sayings. If you've been reading along with us, if you've read the book of Proverbs before, you know what I'm talking about. They are super practical sort of axioms, maxims of, of wisdom uh, on an array of topics, and they move from one to the next in sort of a, a popcorn fashion. Um, they are not super unified. So if you've, if you've been reading this and you're going, man, this just seems like a whole bunch of wisdom, but it's not very unified, you're right. It's not very unified. Um, so appropriately, for the rest of the summer, we're going to be talking about some of those themes of wisdom, but we're not going to be going chapter by chapter because it doesn't really work that way. So we'll pick out a, a theme and sort of go one verse, one chapter at a, here and there and do a survey of them all kind of through chapters 10 through 30, and then we'll wrap up with the postscript, um, which, is, uh, which is chapter 31. So this is the last narrative section of, of Proverbs, and it's chapter 9. And I'd invite you to stand as you are able, as I read this for you, Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, and then 13 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has, sown, uh, she has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her animals, she's mixed her wine, and she has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants, she calls from the highest places in the town. You who are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. But the foolish woman is loud. She's ignorant. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. You who are simple, turn in here. And to those without sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But they do not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So before author Solomon begins his compendium of wisdom that we're going to be going through on various topics, things like friendship and work and money and sex and parenting and marriage, he sets up a showdown. For anyone uh, who's been listening through chapter 8, who is not committed to following wisdom, who is unconvinced that wisdom is a good path for their life, Solomon makes one last final plea. He creates this image of an uncommitted man 
who's kind of wandering on a street, and there are two women on either side of him inviting him into a banquet. It's a showdown. It's a contest between Lady Wisdom and the adulteress or the loose woman who is known as Lady Folly. And they are both vying for the heart of this uncommitted man. Lady Wisdom, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, is a noble patroness. She says, come and eat my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight or knowledge. Lady Folly, on the other hand, is a pretentious and manipulative hostess. She says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is, plentiful, is, is pleasant. So these two women represent two very different ways of life for this uncommitted man. Fear of the Lord and wise choices, or flouting wisdom and choosing a life of, of sensuality, whatever feels good. Both feasts have been prepared, and they are available and this uncommitted man has to choose. And I, want, and I want to remind you, as we've talked about in the series, these are not two equal paths, right? One is a path of dynamic relationship with the living and loving God, a daily journey. And the other is a wilderness way that only leads to destruction, leads to death. Solomon even says as much. He can't, he can't help himself from a little commentary at the end of chapter 9. The uncommitted don't know that with Lady Folly, the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Sheol is the biblical word for the, for the underworld, the place where the eternally dead go. But beyond just this analogy, which is vivid, this is a narrative stroke of genius for Solomon as well, and it's really vital for our understanding of the structure and the syntax of the entire book of Proverbs. So in saying that Lady Wisdom has built her house and prepared a fine meal, Solomon is likely referring to what's already happened in chapters 1 through 8. We've been building a house of wisdom in chapters 1 through 8, and the banquet is about to start for the rest of the book. Proverbs 10 through 30 are, are a banquet, a feast of wisdom, and it's ready. Lady Wisdom has done her part, but now the uncommitted person has to say, i got to decide if I'm proceeding with Lady Wisdom or if I'm going to go the way of Lady Folly. So we are going to get very practical in uh, the weeks to follow for the rest of the summer. So it's a good time to just ask this question, where are you deficient in wisdom in your life? What areas of your life do you need wisdom? Where you recognize, I can't produce this wisdom on my own, I need wisdom from God in this area of my life. Whatever it is, we're probably going to talk about it in the weeks to come. Are you struggling with friendship? I know that some of you struggle with unreconciled friendship. Some of you struggle to surround yourselves with good friends who are going to encourage you in the right direction. Some of you deal with shame in the ways that you recognize, I've been a poor friend, I've fallen short. Are you struggling with work? I know some of you feel lost and, and devoid of purpose. I know some of you feel like you're stuck in a perpetual malaise and that you've lost the ability to, to work hard and take joy in your work. I know some of you face huge career decisions or decisions on how you're going to spend your time and your energy and you desperately need wisdom in how to do that. Are you struggling with money? Some of you obsess over money because you don't have enough of it or you have way too much of it. That's kind of how that works. Maybe you compulsively spend Maybe some of you need wisdom for how to climb out of debt. 
Are you struggling with sex and sexuality? Some of you bend under the weight of sexual choices that are outside of God's good design for men and women in the context of marriage. Some of you deal with impure thoughts and lustful desires that burn within you. I would guess that every single one of us needs wisdom for how to navigate a, a highly sexualized society around us. How do, we, how do we walk with wisdom in a culture like that? Are you struggling as a parent? Some of us need wisdom for day-to-day -day parenting. Amen, anybody? Amen? Okay. Some of you are in a severed relationship with your own child. Some of you are concerned that you may have missed prime opportunities to lead your child in a way of wisdom. Are you struggling in your marriage? Some of you are experiencing painful di distance. Some of you have fallen woefully short of your vows, and you know it. Some of you desire to love and, and lead better as husband or wife. There are more things to talk about here. Where are you deficient in wisdom in your life? I just offered you several topics, and, and there are many more to be covered here, but I take the time to to ask some of those questions for a specific reason, and it's this. If we're simply seeking wisdom in the area where we think we need it most or we feel the most deficient, we may well find ourselves very frustrated on a fruitless journey. Why would that be? Well, it's because before we decide that we need wisdom for a certain specific area of our lives, there is another initial decision that comes before that. And it's the decision to be in relationship with wisdom. To illustrate, let me, um, are, do we have any, anyone who's going to college for the first time here? I don't see many of our college students. Some of you are a couple years off, year off, or some of you I see. Um, I want to talk about college a little bit. Um, in, in 2009, there was a landmark longitudinal study from the Fuller Youth Institute uh, that's been updated and revised several times. Um, they studied students who go to college from churches like our church. They have a youth program that are committed to the discipleship of young people. And they found that the vast majority of these church kids, over 80% of them, fail to invest in their faith in, in, in college or even lose their Christian faith completely. Over 80%. It's a staggering number. Uh, so they began to study why this was the case. And something became very clear in this study. And it's this, the decisions of, of college freshmen in the first two weeks of their college experience often set the stage for their entire college experience. Those first two weeks largely governed their friendship group, their priorities, their use of time. And as you might guess, some, most college freshmen spend the first two weeks of college partying, seeking pleasure pursuing sexual encounters, and, and I think emotionally under all of that is, is just a deep desire to not be alone and not be socially left out, right? So they found that the vast majority of church kids, essentially what they did was they, they took their spiritual lives and they put it in a box and they locked it up and they put it on the shelf and they go, yes, I value this, but, but I'm kind of shelving it and, and I will take this off the shelf after four years and I'll unlock it and I'll, and I'll start kind of fresh again. So as they're experiencing rapid growth in these four years, socially, intellectually, vocationally, emotionally, their, their spiritual growth was arrested and, and untended. It wasn't speaking into their lives largely. So those initial decisions in the earliest days of college, who do I want to be, who do I want to be with, what's most important to me, governed largely these critical years of their lives, for better, but usually for worse. 
So this research spurred on a lot of campus ministries like InterVarsity Fellowship. I know we have some connections here with that. Uh, to focus their attention on those first days and, and weeks of college, particularly the first two weekends of, of college. They began knocking on dorm room doors during move-in to, to invite students to fellowship events and, and gatherings and Bible studies and worship opportunities and mentoring opportunities. They hosted parties uh, on the first weekend to try and combat the other parties that were happening all over campus. They recognized that if they could help students keep that spiritual box unlocked and, and open and operative in their life, it would lead them to a wiser and holier four years of college for these students. It was that first decision, helping them make that first decision to, to follow Jesus that covered all of the other decisions to follow. In many almost literal ways, the beginning of college for those who are uncommitted about their faith are really like this image in Proverbs 9, right? Strolling on campus and having wisdom and folly, uh, wooing them, competing for their attention. Delicious meals prepared with, with very opposite effects, depending on which one you eat. So if the student desires to be wise, the first decision to say, this is, this, this is important to me, my relationship with Jesus is important to me, is absolutely critical. And for here, here for us today, it is, it is just as crucial to make sure that if we're undecided, that we're making that first decision to fall in love with wisdom. I want to make special note of the, of the sexual undertones in this passage. Um, the uncommitted person is indeed a young man, and it's, and it's two women who are wooing this young man, pursuing him, inviting him into their homes. Wisdom is called virtuous and fidelitous. Folly is called promiscuous, loose, and seductive. Uh, we might be given to the idea that this is primarily wisdom about our sexual lives, and it's not not about that. Um, Proverbs carries forward a very biblical model of, of where sex should reside. Um, there's no question about that. But this teaching encompasses much more than just wisdom on our sex lives. Lady wisdom and lady folly represent wisdom and foolishness in every direction and on every topic. So what if we started seeing wisdom less as, as uh, what if it's more than just a, this concept or this set of ideas that we have to sort of learn and absorb? What if it's, what if it's not an, an index of some sort that we can consult when we are struggling in a certain area? What if, we, what if we saw wisdom as a person who we could have a deep and life-giving relationship with, a person who spoke to you, who fed you, who, who cared for you? What if by virtue of knowing that person and loving that person, you could actually be made wise in every direction of your life? That's the invitation in Proverbs 9. And the good news is that lady wisdom is not just a mere personification. It's actually realized in a person, and that person's name is Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, became wisdom from God for us. In Colossians 2, he states that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They reside in Christ. Jesus was the only human being who walked this life bathed in wisdom. The first decision that we can make to know Jesus personally, what it does is is, is it gives us an opportunity to walk in that wisdom too. It marries us to wisdom, and it'll make us wise in our lives. 
by knowing Jesus and, and being made more and more like him in our lives, we're going to be empowered to actually live into this proverbial wisdom that we're going to come into in chapters 10 through 30. If Jesus indeed is wisdom, it changes the way that we understand this image in Proverbs 9. Wisdom is Jesus, which means folly is the Antichrist. It's the, it's the evil one. It's what, what scripture calls the Satan, the splitter, the divider. And these are two rivals who compete for our faith and intention and our allegiance. The choice that we make between Jesus and the adversary and his idols will, will determine whether or not we're on a path of wisdom or we're on a trail to destruction. In fact, I think the only way that we're really going to reasonably able to heed the wisdom that's coming at us in popcorn fashion in the next 20 chapters is if Proverbs 1 through 9 has led us into a commitment to Jesus, to wisdom, the wisdom from God. In large part, whether our lives are marked by wisdom, things like working hard and obeying your parents and, and managing our, our finances or, or listening to advice, those kinds of things actually reveal ultimately where we are in our relationship with Jesus. If we struggle with things like controlling our tongue or laziness or grudges or an unforgiving heart or unbridled lust or, or any number of things, it reveals something about our relationship with Jesus. It indicates that we've forgotten that first decision which governs all the other wisdom that we might seek. So what does this mean for us here today? What does this mean for us here today? Three things. They're fairly simple, but I, I want to walk through them to close today. First is you need to be committed to Jesus. Sounds simple, right? But you might notice that this text isn't directed at everyone. Both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly call out to those who are quote-unquote simple. Another word for that would be uncommitted wishy-washy they just haven't decided yet she doesn't call out to people who have already committed to wisdom who have made a vow to wisdom nor do they call out to those who have already committed to folly who are like i don't want anything to do with this those are called the scoffers or the mockers mockers in proverbs they call out to the uncommitted and i want this morning for you to assess your commitment to jesus who is wisdom in personal form maybe you for most of your life, have danced around the idea of Jesus. Maybe you've had sort of a casual in-and-out relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never actually actively sought who Jesus is in Scripture. Maybe there are parts of Jesus and his teachings that you're really into and you really like, but there are other parts that are off-putting, so you've kind of kept him at arm's length. Maybe you realize that your efforts to obtain wisdom in your life have been largely unfruitful despite a whole lot of good intentions. If any of those things are true for you, let me invite you to what I am positive is the most important and life-giving decision that you will ever make. Be committed. Be committed to Jesus. If we take our cue from Proverbs 9, such a commitment should not be taken lightly. We're welcomed in by Jesus. We're fed by him. We're cared for by him. And we surrender ourselves to him in a covenant relationship where we are wed to him. And we know him fully. And we know him intimately. When the young man walks into Lady Wisdom's house, he is committing himself to her. And he is surrendering himself to her. And that's no less true for us here today with Jesus. So if that's not your experience with Jesus, if that's not how you would characterize it, 
then maybe today is the day where you need to commit yourself in a new and fresh way to him. Surrender yourself to Jesus and to his wisdom. And I am fully aware that we can sit in these pews for years and years and years and not be fully committed to Jesus. That's the opportunity before us today. Second thing is now you need to walk in the way of wisdom. As I stated several weeks ago, we, we do ourselves a great disservice if we just think, well, I, I'm just choosing to follow Jesus, and then it's a nice broad stroll down a road of convenience for the rest of my life. No, we choose wisdom that comes from Jesus, and then he leads us on this dynamic journey where we have to listen to him and, and, and seek wisdom in myriad ways over every single aspect of our lives. It's an art form. So if you've made that first crucial choice, I just want to say now you're ready to submit to, to Christ as your wisdom in every area of your life. And like I said, in the next weeks to come, we'll get more specific on that. It's a daily choice, one that needs to be renewed and committed to. Which leads me to my final point. Third, it's not too late to turn back to wisdom. It's not too late. Maybe you know that you've been a fool. You've gone into Lady Folly's house. You've been beset by a sin in your life, and you've spurned God's wisdom. Jesus will take you in. He'll make you wise. Back to college for a second. Uh, my freshman uh, roommate, um, let's call him Dave. That is his actual name, so I'm going to call him Dave. But um, I'd, I didn't know Dave prior to college. Uh, this was far before, you know, internet stalking your roommate, and, and we had had one phone conversation that was kind of awkward before I was standing in the dorm on moving day shaking his hand. Dave was from Michigan. I was from Minnesota. Um, and, and, and he was a nice enough guy, but we had a little bit of a rough beginning. Um, we struggled to connect with one another on, on, on all sorts of stuff. Um, I didn't see Dave much a ton the first three weeks of school. Um, he was out late most nights um, with, with friends. I don't think that Dave was making awful choices, um, but he was, he was clearly living it up in his first sort of like independent streak, true independence streak that he really had. And um, finally, after the third weekend or so, I, I, I hear him coming in very, very late throughout the weekend. And, and we were in our room on a Monday night, and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he said, so I got my first quiz back, my first college quiz that I took, and I did horrible. He said, I've been out way too much. I've been with the wrong people. I don't have any money. I gotta, I gotta sort of get serious about this college thing. This is not a good path that I'm on. Can we start locking our door at like 10, 30, 11 and just do homework and like be quiet? I could have cried. I was so excited. Um, I gladly accepted. And in the days and weeks to come, we started talking a bunch more. We started laughing uh, more than two people should, um, finding many, many things in common. And Dave is one of my dearest friends today. Uh, he's one of my dearest friends on earth, and he's an amazing husband. He's an amazing father. He's a school principal. He's a man of deep, deep faith in Jesus Christ, and he is a model of wisdom for me. So I say this to say the stats on the first two weeks of college life would tell you that David sort of sealed his fate, right, that he was going down this path. But the Spirit nudged him awake. The Spirit of God nudged him awake and said, turn back to wisdom. Turn back to me. I just want to say it's not too late for anyone. Come back to that first decision. Choose the wisdom of Christ over the foolishness of the evil one and start fresh. Start fresh. Even today, start fresh. 
a life of wisdom. To close, let me just say, the further that we've traveled into this book of Proverbs, the more I find myself praying for wisdom. Because I know that, and I think we, we, we all are desperate in our need of wisdom. I need it. I had no idea when we started talking about a series in Proverbs way back in the winter that, that I would need fresh wisdom in so many different ways in my life as I was preaching it. And how much we would need wisdom to, to navigate how complex our world is. It seems to be getting more and more complex every day. Just this week, I've seen a, a thing of a, a, a confluence of things in my life where I know I desperately need wisdom. I can't generate it on my own, as a dad, as a friend, as a pastor, as a husband, as a citizen of this country. I desperately need wisdom. I'm aware of how prone I am and we are to, to seek wisdom from all sorts of different places. People and words and, and work and ideologies and philosophies, many of which don't even recognize Jesus, who is the source of wisdom. So I really, truly believe this is a timely word for us. I know that it's a timely word for me. I increasingly, my heart increasingly, wants more than a casual relationship with wisdom. I want to be bathed in it. I want to be bound to it. I want to be growing deeper in my commitment to it. And that wisdom has a name. The name is Jesus. We're going to get more topical. We're going to get super practical. But let's remember our commitment to Jesus is the wisest decision that we will ever make, and it makes all other wise decisions in our life possible. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that today we might hear you calling to us, especially those of us here today who are uncommitted, who have strayed off of your path, who are simple in mind and heart, would we hear that invitation to come and eat with you and be cared for by you and make covenant vows with you? Would we hear that call to commitment? And would you give us courage to follow? Lord, if there is someone here today who's feeling a spirit conviction that says, I've never really committed myself to this. I pray that you would speak to them loudly in this moment. You would give them an opportunity to say yes to you. And for those who have made commitments to you, but realize that we've, we've slipped into a less committed place than we want to be, that we need to renew our commitment to you as our wisdom, Lord, would you give us the courage to seek you again and say, I'm ready to be committed to you yet again, Lord Jesus. Lord, we need wisdom in our lives. We need it desperately. Your world needs it more than ever. And we own the fact today that wisdom cannot come apart from you. True wisdom cannot part come, come apart from you. So Lord, would you grant it to us? Would you find us committed to wisdom, not just learning it and understanding it, but living it and being in relationship with wisdom. So Lord, make us wise. Make us wise, not just in one way, but in every way. For your glory, we pray in your name. Amen.
Let's stand as we sing together.